If you found Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. So pay attention and listen. Let them not depart from your eyes. So pay attention, listen, and look. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So pay attention, listen, look, and put these things in the center of your thinking, in the middle of your heart. Why? Verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. I believe if we study to show ourselves approved, we'll not be ashamed by hiding God's word in our hearts. Paying attention to words of wisdom, good counsel, good quality advice. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So the things we pay attention to, we listen to, we look upon, we hide in our hearts, we guard it there. Because out of our hearts come the issues of our life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Now it's popular in America to tell people, just follow your heart. And I understand what they're trying to say. You know, how are you made? What brings you joy? What brings you sorrow? That's a key probably to your future of making a difference in the world. So it's great, you know, if you have a career that you enjoy, but everybody doesn't have that luxury. We're called to follow his heart, not our heart. Our hearts can lead us down a path to destruction. Our hearts need protecting, not following. You, to the singles, you may see something out there that's looking really good, and he or she will break your heart if you follow your heart. You better guard your heart and have some other people look at the situation and say, what do you think about a future there? Is there anything there? Well, he doesn't have a job. Okay, put the brakes on. Before God gave the first man, the first wife, he gave him a job. I'll leave that alone. All right. <laughs> We've been in a series called Unoffendable. I read a book, was reading a book, listening to a book, reviewing a book called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen, who's a national Christian DJ, has a program a couple hours a day on. If you can catch it, he's very entertaining. He plays songs on the accordion between songs. He's hilarious, but he gets people offended at him all the time. And if he didn't gain this understanding from the Word of God, I don't think he could be doing what he's doing. To learn to toughen up, and just refuse to be offended at people that don't understand. You know, some people won't give you the benefit of the doubt. They'll just attack you, right? I raised my kids on my knees begging for their forgiveness because constantly wasn't giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'd see something and interpret it sometimes in the wrong way. And of course, sometimes in their deviousness, they saw a way to reinterpret it. And what I was seeing, my son said, actually, Dad, you were right most of the time. So in this series, we've looked at the art of letting things go. 
The facts about offenses, they're going to be real, and many are going to be offended. But the faith is we can guard our hearts and not let those things take root. And if they do, we can speak to them and get them out of our hearts. And we talked about the facts of faith and the fight. If you missed any of these six sessions, today's the sixth one. So if you missed any of the previous five, you can catch them online through our app or through iTunes or YouTube or your favorite form of media. We also looked at truths we need to know. There are 10 things we need to know, and ignorance is not an excuse. God's people are destroyed, Hosea said, because of a lack of knowledge. There's some things maybe we know, but we forgot, and there's some things we've heard and perceived, and we think that's good enough, you know. Faith comes by hearing, and so I've heard that before, you know, move on. But God wants us to move beyond head knowledge to heart action from from theory to reality. So some truths we need to know. We've looked at the danger of anger. Anger is so destructive, so destructive. And as Americans, many times we want to defend our anger. We have a right to be angry, and we'll use Jesus as an example to wear out the story of cleansing of the temple. The Scriptures do not say he made a whip and began to beat people. Don't call the SPCA on me, but there were big beasts in there. He got them moving. He tore up their shop, obviously. There's not verse that says he began beating folks. It doesn't say it. Now, please don't get distracted. You can, you, surely you can remember that and not have to go and check up on me while I'm preaching and lose track with where we're at. <laughs> God does get angry, but he's righteous. He's perfect. He's pure, right? right? And the Old Testament says his anger's but for a moment. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be here, right? So how come we think in our imperfections we can just hold on to anger? You know, if you get pulled over by the police for speeding, do you want an angry officer writing you a ticket? If you have to appear before a judge and make an appeal, do you want an angry judge overseeing your case? If you meet a Christian, do you want to meet an angry Christian? No. So anger is danger. It's like acid. It does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than it does to the one on whom it is poured. We looked at our position, who we are by Christ, in Christ, to Christ, through Christ, and with Christ. The identity of the prepositions of our position in Christ, who we are. Many times we see ourselves less than the way God sees us, and it makes us vulnerable to be hurt, and to feel like a victim, and to be totally preoccupied with fairness. You know, the kingdom of God is described in parables told by Jesus. And if you're all about everything being fair 24-7, you're going to be very unhappy, and you're not going to like being in those parables. There's the elder brother. It's not fair. He doesn't get the fatted calf killed for him. Meanwhile, he owned the whole farm, you know. It's not fair that 99 sheep get left behind so the shepherd can chase that rebellious sheep that, just, that should just be let go. It's not fair that I work all day long and this loser that works one hour gets paid the same amount as me. Even though it's not in my authority, I agreed to work for what I got paid, right? So the kingdom of God is about justice in the long run. We got to step up out of the fray, stop looking for the perfect pieces of the puzzle, to fit at every juncture and let God have his way. In the long run, you're going to be happy, right? 
we've got to be willing to let God use us. And sometimes that using involves long suffering. And any suffering that we have in life isn't anything to be happy about. But to get offended, it just makes us obstinate and resistant and rebellious to God's will for our lives. And last week, we talked about real love for real offenses. When is love best seen? In the atmosphere where it is most unlikely. If you're going to show off a diamond, you don't put it in a glass necessarily. You want to put it against some opaque material with an opposing color that will cause it to stand out. And our love stands out when we have every reason in the world to be offended. So this has been a challenging series. Maybe some have felt condemned by it. But you need to know it's coming from my heart because God was dealing me with that. When my father passed and I was gone for 19 days, I realized I was so offended at the man. And um, I, won't, I won't go into the de- details because you can stir yourself up again. Who knows that? You don't want to stir yourself up. God's freed me. Now I'm going to guard my heart and now allow offenses to spring back up and try to resurrect So today's talk, I'm going to kind of springboard from Hebrews 5, 13, and 14. Everyone who partakes of milk is inexperienced in the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the full grown, who because of practice have their faculties exercised for discriminating between both good and evil. Milk and meat. You don't want to get the two confused, but you need both. What is the milk? Milk is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What is the meat? The meat is, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. So the milk is to know who he is. He's the son of God. Come to be savior of the world. The meat is to die on a cross and take a beating and be slandered and be betrayed. What is the milk for us? Milk for us is, yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong we are weak but he is strong it's just wonderful but if you stop there you're not going to grow there's some meat for you what is your meat your meat is to take up your cross deny yourself and follow him what is the cross the cross is where anywhere the will of god crosses our will who needs to win in that scenario god does so the ultimate spiritual battle is who's going to be god in my life Me or him? One day the Lord really spoke to me and said, I am God and you are not. That, like, anytime you speak something to your heart, it's just like dominoes began to fall everywhere. All kinds of little conflicts just became nothing, became dust. Who's going to be God in this situation? So today I'd like to speak to you on the conclusion of the series. Lord willing, you know me, these things can grow unoffendable securing our faculties what is our faculties whether our senses sight hearing smelling tasting feeling there are minds and our hearts and our hands and our feet these things need to be guarded or utilized to live a life that's free of being offended the first point of 10 is our focus will determine our intake my son give attention to my words incline your ear to my sayings 
Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So all those things, keeping things in our heart, not letting them depart from our eyes, inclining our ear to God, saying, is giving attention to the words of of the Father who's speaking here. So what are we giving attention to? We're giving attention to whatever we're looking for. It's true. If you're at Six Flags with a grandchild, or younger parents, if you're at at Six Flags with a child and you lose that child, what are you now paying attention to? Looking for that child, and your vision will filter out anything that's not your child until you achieve retrieving that precious one, right? Well, some people are looking for reasons to be offended. They just are. Well, I have my triggers. Well, you need to put those things at the foot of the cross. Amen? Jesus said in Luke 11, he also said this in Matthew, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. So what he's talking about is our perception. It's not a lamp in that it projects out, but it projects inwardly. What is your perception? What are you looking for? If you're looking if your looking is good looking, you're looking good. <laughs> but everybody thinks the way they see the world is the way it is. You may tell them the way it really is, and they'll say, yes, that's your truth, but my truth is such and such. This your truth and my truth thing needs to bow the knee to God's truth. As revealed through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, be careful that the light you have is not darkness. Be careful that the way you're not seeing things isn't just totally off. In fact, Matthew relates Jesus is also saying, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The problem with being deceived is you are deceived. Am I speaking French? Comment allez-vous, monsieur? Juju es la chienne. Have you ever felt like this guy in this uh, walking on eggshells culture in which we live? I hope this is funny. I hope I don't cross the line here. If I do, talk to me after. How you guys doing? Guys, um, there are women in the audience as well. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Get them, okay. sis. Guys, women. Okay. What about the transgender? Y'all too. Everybody. Y'all and everybody are not the correct pronouns to address someone. Exactly. Okay. Human. Not a pronoun. I hope you have a daughter someday and someone calls her a human. You transphobic bigot. Okay, so this black guy walks into a bar. Was he discriminated against by institutionalized racism? Uh, no. So racism doesn't exist. I didn't say that. What you not about to do, my brother, mm-hmm. is perpetuate a narrative that enables racism and gives them a reason to say racism is not real. Preach. I can't support someone who isn't racially biased like I am. Did you just speak Spanish? Oh my God, he You're appropriating Latino culture. (sighs) Oh my God, he just did an exasperated gasp. That's hate speech. You sexist? Racist? I was just about to tell a joke. A joke? Jokes! A 
joke. What? No. What? It's 2018. You can't tell jokes. Jokes are hate speech. We had Man. so much respect for you until you made a joke about something we were sensitive about. You should be ashamed. You should be ashamed. You are the problem. Okay, you're the problem. Our focus determines our input. What are we focused on? Are we looking for a reason? Is there a, I was told as a kid, you've got a chip on your shoulder. You're daring people to knock it off. I'd like to know the origin of that. Some people are like that, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about us. We've got to guard our hearts. And I know American Christianity is under the threat of persecution, but to constantly be ranting and raving, that's persecution or that. We're falling in the same game. Our focus determines our intake, our input, and our intake will determine our output, our outtake. Keep my words in your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So the output of our life can be healthy if the input is healthy. In computer talk, you've heard of G-I-G-O or Gigo or G-Go, G-Jo, how is it? Garbage in, garbage out. It means the quality of the output from your computer is determined by the quality of the input. If a user provides a computer with incorrect data, the computer will produce incorrect information. If, you know, your figures are wrong, you're not going to get the right answer, right? Well, I thought my computer was smart. Well, put in the right question, you'll get the right answer. Um, in preacher language, they, they say, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. The facts are off up here. It's not going to get straightened out out there. I know there's Google that can help do that, but uh, normally things are going to get messed up. So what we take in determines our output. And if we don't take in the right thing, we're going to put out the wrong thing. Have you ever posted something on social media that was incorrect because you didn't fact check? You took in something. If it says Babylon B, it's for laughter. It's not the truth. All right. Our hearts need vigilant protection. They don't need vigilant following. They need vigilant protection. Keep your heart with all diligence, constant guard our hearts. Our lives flow from our heart's condition. Guard your heart with all diligence. Keep it with all diligence, for out of it spring or flow the issues of life. Jesus also said in Luke 6, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. So, if we take in good things and keep them in our hearts, then our lives will be good, right? For the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, partaking at the devil's table all week does not produce righteous living. Our mouths need source purification. Watch your mouth. He said there in our text, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. How do you do that? You guard what 
goes in because what's in the heart comes out. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So to purify our mouth isn't washing it out with soap, but it's washing our hearts before the Lord. What are we paying attention to? What are we listening, watching, focusing on? Has an impact on our hearts, and out of that has an impact on the way we speak. So the way we speak is an indicator of the condition of our hearts. So if we notice that stories are getting stretched, time to go pray and search our hearts. If we notice there's venom coming out of our mouths, the answer isn't stopping it. The answer is going to the source and getting it purified, right? James says, can salt water and fresh water flow from the same fountain? What do you get when you mix fresh water with salt water? Salt water. Our life's direction requires foresight. We've got to do some thinking, not following our heart, but thinking ahead of our hearts. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. We read this, verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Sometimes the immense amount of our prayer requests could be impacted by thinking ahead. Or sometimes it's our prayer request exists because somebody else didn't think ahead. The point is, we've got to look where we're at and grow and learn and move forward and not get sunk in offenses. Some people get offended at themselves and they get stuck. <laughs> Number seven, our biggest battles are in our minds. Biggest battle isn't the principality of Hood County. Oh, if the devils of Texas could just come under the feet of Jesus and, you know, every devil under a 21-mile radius of my voice has to obey and get distracted with all the spirits out here. Meanwhile, it's the stuff going on between our ears that needs our attention. <laughs> battle is for the minds of men. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So the conflict I'm facing isn't the fact that I need to punch somebody in the nose, but the fact is I need to deal with strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So you want to beat up the devil? Beat up false thoughts that you've been harboring. Beat up, get rid of bitterness, wrath, clamor, malice, unforgiveness, and long-living anger. Deal with it. It's become stronghold. What's a stronghold? It's a fortress. It's a place. It's a place. I mean, if demons are involved, it's a place where they seek refuge in your thoughts. If they can keep you thinking the way you're thinking, then they don't have to do anything. You beat yourself up for them. Yes, but, that's an argument. Cast it down. You don't understand, that's a high thing, trying to exalt itself, get rid of it. You don't know, that's something trying to be greater than the knowledge of God. 
bring your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obviously, there's room for saying, help me understand and empathizing with one another. But if we just stop there, are we really helping each other? No, we've got to pull down those strongholds. We're pulling down strongholds. There's services where they devote themselves to pulling down strongholds you know, over their region and all that. Meanwhile, our strongholds are between our ears. Look at it. It's talking about our minds. That's the same verse. Yeah, false practices like that happen when people don't read the context. Our peace of mind can be preserved. Who, who needs peace of mind? We can keep it. Philippians 4, we'll look at the context of these promises where it says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. We want our hearts guarded. How can we do that? Look at this promise. Be careful for nothing, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but in everything, somebody said everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, this is a result of praying about everything with thanksgiving, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Who wants to be guarded by the peace of God? Take everything to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He's our friend. He's waiting on us to carry things to him in prayer. Our walk with God should be enjoyed. Our peace of mind should be preserved. Our walk with God should be enjoyed. It's another way of saying the same thing. That same passage in Philippians 4 goes on to talk about the God of peace being with you. We want the peace of God keeping our hearts and minds, right? But more than the peace of God, I want the God of peace. Look at this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you you peace of god keeping you if you pray about everything with thanksgiving and then taking control of your thoughts the god of peace will be with you we used to sing this to kind of drive the point home it was based on this passage whatever is true whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely we will fix our thoughts on these things. Jesus, you're pure. Jesus, you're right. 
Jesus, uh, Jesus, you're true. Jesus, you're right. Jesus, you're pure. Jesus, you're lovely. And we will fix our thoughts on you, Jesus. The crowd goes, Jesus, who is like you? Who is like you? Jesus, who is like you? Our walk with God should be enjoyed by being with the God of peace. And finally, our peacemaking efforts should be real. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called children of God. Jesus said that. Paul said, as much as depends upon you, walk in peace with everybody as much as depends upon you. Some people won't let you do that. But when the ball's in your court, play ball. Walk in peace. Our peacemaking efforts should be real, not theoretical. I've heard this before, you know, I'll be glad when a new series starts. No, if your peacemaking efforts aren't real, you're not living like children of God, right? James Chapter 3, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So, where there's offenses, generally there's strife, right? Sometimes there's envy, confusion, evil works. What's the deal with all these shootings? 52 people, the news I heard say, were killed needlessly. Not that anybody's ever killed needfully by mass shooters. People are offended. And offended folks are mentally ill. They just are. So we've got to guard our hearts in this area lest we get sick. Who wants to be healthy? Amen. So the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We've all been imputed, if we're believers, with the righteousness of God. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. That is good, awesome. But I believe as we grow in Christ, our lives need to begin to look like that's the truth. And one of the ways it happens is when we become peacemakers. Nobody sows seed just by throwing it out there or just by putting it on a shelf. No, there's work involved. There's digging. There's searching for the ideal place. And in reconciliation, walking in peace with all men, there's work involved. It's not easy. There's prayer involved. It's fear and trembling, but you're doing the real thing. This is Christianity uh, 201. 101 is, yes, Jesus loves me. Now, yes, I love people. Yes, but, yes, but, it involves my church. I would expect Christians to live better than the way they treated me. I know. 
but because it is church is why we've got to deal with it. Judgment begins at the house of God. If God expects it of the world, how much more with us, right? If we can't walk with footmen, how are we going to run with horsemen? How am I going to walk in peace with atheists when I can't with Christians? Yes, but it involves my family. Charity starts at home. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest nearest home. If our houses are to be light, lighthouses, then the great commandments start in my marriage and with my kids and with my siblings and with my in-laws and outlaws in Exodus and Texas. <laughs> Let me tell you the Ken Smith story. Barbara's with us today. Ken went home to be with the Lord three years ago. Three years in January. What year were you all married? Ken married Barbie. Yes. They had four kids. They lived in Irving. They built multiple houses. They became members of Shady Grove Church. God began dealing with Ken in reconciling with his father. What happened was when Ken was five years old, his parents split up and his father remarried. His mother never remarried. And so Ken grew up without his dad. He saw his dad once or twice, once from a distance at a funeral, but never communicated with him. His mother never spoke ill of his father, but boy, did her parents. She, they gave me plenty of reasons to hate his dad. No good. So Ken grew up hating his dad. And so here he is now with kids that are growing up, just about totally grown, and the Lord says you've got to straighten this out. Do, what, do your part as much as depends upon you. Walk in peace with all men. So whether he was right or wrong, he's going he's to trust God and obey. He writes a letter to his dad, finds out his address, and in the letter he apologizes to his dad for his bitterness. His dad reads the letter, and immediately writes a response. You don't need to be apologizing to me. I need to be apologizing to you. I abandon you. I this and I that. Reconciliation happened. When his wife died, they got back together. So Ken and Barbara's kids now had grandparents married to each other, on dad's side of the family. This is a wonderful thing. So over the course of time, in the early 80s, they wanted to buy retirement property in Granbury and found a nice place at a good price in Western Hills Harbor, 7088 Hidden Valley, which is three or four house uh, links away from Mustang Trail. Mustang Trail comes in off of 377. The house is there to this day. This is Google Earth, look at it, and a 3D street view. Yep, just got this from the computer. It's still there. They have since sold the house. Before the house was done, they ran out of finances. They're living in an RV next to this house under construction. Well, Ken's dad gave him $25,000, finished the house house is still there today. 
If he hadn't reconciled with his dad, what would have happened? It would have been tough, right? In his mother's later years, his dad helped take care of his mother. So Ken and Barb never had to house Ken's mother in her late years till she died. So during those years, they began to host prayer meetings in this house. And in February of 91, a church was born. People in this room are in that picture, in that house. You are sitting in a church that would not exist if Ken had not reconciled with his father. His father helped him build the house. His father helped take care of his mother in her later years. There's no way they could have, they were raising a granddaughter and hosting his mother in her later years. They couldn't have hosted prayer meetings in their house. You're sitting in a house that's here because a man reconciled with his dad. Who knows what destiny is ahead of you and I waiting on doors to be open, but what's blocking the way is the need for reconciliation. You never know. Take the risk. You never know. <laughs> well, they'll hurt me. Well, you're hurt already, so what's the risk? Right? I'm not saying go on vacation with them but begin to communicate in some form or fashion. We're talking about securing our faculties, or after, after that story, we could call it securing our facilities. There's a neat story as I conclude, a painful story. The Bible doesn't hide ugly things that happen in biblical history, but the story of a conniving guy named Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, who went to work for his uncle and fell in love with one of his daughters. This uncle had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was a younger one. Rachel, in today's vernacular, had it going on. She was beautiful in appearance and in physique. That's what the scriptures say. Leah, not so much. The scriptures are very kind. They say Leah's eyes were tender. That's the Hebrew. That's what it means, tender. So some translators have said her eyes were weak. Some preachers got carried away and said, maybe she was cross-eyed. Or... But, but I choose to be kind and say, you know, maybe eyes were her best feature. Tender eyes. But Jacob had already fallen for Rachel, and he approached Laban, can I marry? Yeah, she was his first cousin. Can I marry Rachel? Laban said, yes, but you're going to have to be my slave or servant for seven years. So he worked for seven years. He was so excited. The scriptures say that seven years were easy for him. So he has this glorious wedding. He's so excited, takes his bride into his tent. You know, there's not electricity in those days. It's already nighttime, and she was wearing a veil. And so he had a great honeymoon night, woke up, discovered she wasn't Rachel, she was Leah. He was ticked off. 
So goes to Laban and says, you have conned me. You, have, you reckon he thought about himself? You have tricked me. And Laban said, yes, but in our land here in this part of the world, we have a custom, and that custom is the oldest child gets married first. We couldn't have the younger daughter get married before the first daughter. So I'll let you marry Rachel too, but you got to work for me another seven years. you got to promise, and give it a week, and then I'll let you have her. So Leah had her husband, who didn't want her, to herself for one week. Then she had to share him with her sister. You reckon she had a reason to be offended? Ticked off. If you read the whole story, Leah really was the better wife. And Leah had a love for God. Rachel, not so much. She was somewhat self-centered, caused some problems in the family. So God blessed Leah with a son. She named him Reuben, which means, look, a boy. She literally said, now my husband will love me because God has seen my problem. So God has seen my problem, so he saw to it that I had a child. Look, a boy, now my husband will love me. He didn't. So God blessed her with a second son. Named him Simeon which means to hear, because God has heard my prayer. God has heard my problem. I'm going to name him Simon or Simeon. Things didn't change, and then they really never did, but then God blessed her with a third son. She named him Levi, which means to be attached or connected. And she said, now my husband will be connected to me because I've blessed him with three sons. Didn't happen. A fourth son was born. She named him Judah, which means praise. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. At every juncture, every son's being born, she honored the Lord, but the first three, she's hoping for her husband to notice, to see, to hear, to listen, to get connected. But the fourth one, she surrendered. Now I will just praise the Lord. Now I will praise the Lord. God has blessed me with four sons. Sometimes in offensive situations, you got to look at what you can be thankful for and focus on that and move forward with your life and not get all knocked down and all bitter. Martin Luther King Sr. was an amazing man who raised the famous Martin Luther King Jr. He was interviewed one day on how he dealt with loss. He experienced the death of a famous son and then a very strange, suspicious death of another son who drowned in his own swimming pool at 2 a.m. How weird is that? Looks suspicious. And then one Sunday, a crazed gunman came in his church. He was a pastor looking to kill him. He wasn't there, but his wife was playing the organ, so the crazed gunman killed her. So how did you cope? How have you come through this, losing two sons and your wife? He said, you've got to learn to rejoice in what you have left. I'm talking to somebody today. Sure, you may have had a horrendous beginning, But where are you now? 
You weren't totally destroyed. You're still here. You're still standing. You're still victorious. Stop giving the enemy room to beat you down. Now I will praise the Lord. Name this day Judah. May this be a new beginning for you as the praise team comes forward. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would bear fruit in the hearts and lives of every person in this room. That they would guard their hearts, guard their thoughts, and learn to rejoice in what they do have. Become active in giving thanks. Forgive us, Lord, for being ungrateful because we focus on our hurts and being offended. Help us, Lord, to walk in freedom. Break the chains of offense. In Jesus' name, Lord, may every link turn into a bird that flies away. As we walk into freedom, Lord, help us to be as free as you died to make us. In Jesus' name. And help us, Lord, to recognize when we're offensive that we not walk in the same thing. Do not have a tit-for-tat mentality, an eye for an eye or a vengeful approach to life. But Lord, to trust you at every step of the way to lead us to walk in peace with all men, especially with our families and our communities. In Jesus' name, amen.
uh, take something into our heart. And a lot of times that can be good stuff, but so many times it's not good stuff. It's condemnation or words that we have received from others or offenses that we put away in our hearts and we let it just sit there and fester and harden and it makes a bad situation for us. I'm going to read from uh, 1 John chapter 3 and a lot of times we just pass right over this little passage but I want to read it to you because it addresses our hearts. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And that confidence comes with a, a, a promise he goes on to say, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. When we receive God's heart, we take that condemnation that is in our heart, remove it, receive God's heart. Our prayers become much more clear to God. They're no longer hindered. We can speak directly to God. And so we're here this morning, and I, and I think it'd be remiss if if some of us don't walk out of here free this morning. So I'm gonna call the prayer team forward and we're gonna be in a position to pray for people that wanna receive what uh, Pastor Allen has been preaching on over these last few weeks. If you want that freedom, come forward and let somebody pray with you. So I'll call the prayer team forward if they'll come forward right now. Um, we'll, we'll just be in a position to pray with you. And think about it this way, Pastor Allen actually touched on this. What peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we often bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why don't you just come forward? Just come forward, carry it to prayer with a brother or sister up here and leave this place free and your prayers unhindered this morning in the name of Jesus. Thank you.